It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Welcome into the Atlanta Inquirer podcast. Eric Piper, your host for this episode. Fresh off the road, a three-game road swing for Brad Underwood and company. The Atlanta basketball program went 2-1, and one, starting out, of course, on the East Coast at Rutgers at Madison Square Garden, then against FAU, a top 15 team, being able to get those wins. And then trying to go for the sweep, they were unsuccessful in that, going to Knoxville, losing to the 17th-ranked Tennessee Volunteers, 86 279. Uh, not disappointing, really, in terms of getting that two and one mark. A chance to really get another marquee victory on your resume against the Vols. Uh, the Atlanta were not able to do that, but excited to break down what we saw from that one with our guy, Mike Latulip. He's going to be coming up here shortly to talk with us about what he saw in that one, the good and the bad. I mean, you're leading at halftime against. That caliber of team in front of 21,000. Uh, there were some good things that Illinois showed in that one. But, uh, of course, on the negative side, Terrence Shannon, Marcus DeMass struggling after they went bonkers uh, at MSG in the Jimmy V Classic. Uh, they weren't able to follow that up against a really, really stout Volunteers defense. So uh, we'll dive into that with Mike Tulip. Uh, I will say Illinois coming into this week, they were able to jump up a couple of spots in the AP poll thanks to that win against FAU and hanging hanging tough there in Tennessee. Uh, nothing in terms of a, a blowout loss or anything to be embarrassed about with that. So uh, they're up to 16th in the AP poll. They're 20th in the net. Uh, right now, there's one quad one win, which you're going to account for in FAU. The win at Rutgers can teeter and probably will teeter back and forth throughout the year between a quad one and a quad two. As of right now, is a quad two victory. So, uh, But on the note of the loss to Tennessee, let's Get in deeper on that, the storylines, and as we look ahead, Illinois playing Colgate coming up on Sunday here in Champaign as they return to action in Champaign. We'll catch up with Mike Tulip on the other side to get his thoughts. I want to take a minute and tell you about Homefield. They're a premium collegiate apparel brand based in Indianapolis. They emphasize their commitment to creating incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. They feature a growing collection of over 150 plus colleges to choose from, including, of course, the University of Illinois. Homefield designs are super unique, guys, because they delve into the archives and history of each school, including Illinois, and they use unique logos and iconic moments to create thoughtfully designed apparel. So if you go to Homefield, Fieldapparel.com, you can see the 80s Illini football helmet that so many of you like, flying Illini logo, the Illinois basketball logo from the 2004-2005 Illini team, the script Illini is there, and you guys, these are the most comfortable shirts, and that's what I love about Homefield Apparel, you get the comfort, but you also get authenticity and nostalgia, so I'm telling you guys, give their site a look, it's not the typical Illinois gear you usually see, you can find them at Homefieldapparel.com, where you can see their collection of college 
privileges available. And guess what? Our listeners at Illini Inquire get 15% off their first order with discount code Illini23. Again, 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com with discount code Illini23. So as you go to Illinois football games, get ready for the Illinois basketball season, Homefield Apparel is the perfect apparel to get you ready for the upcoming season. So check them out at homefieldapparel.com. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes May 10th. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Excited to be joined by our basketball analyst here at Atlanta Inquirer, Mike Latulip, joining us. A big one in Knoxville over the weekend. Illinois falls just short. But uh, Mike, first, I know you had a birthday earlier this month. Happy belated. Uh, I turned 33 today, so it's my Larry Bird year. Uh, a big day for me because, number one, I'm talking to Mike on the podcast, filling in for Jeremy. And number two, I, I turned another year older. So uh, excited to be here. Yeah. Well, happy birthday, man. You just kind of dropped that bomb. Uh, <laughs> that, that was like a unique pipe bomb there. Um, no, man, it's when Jeremy told me that it would be you and I, I was like, all right, Jordan's out. We got Pippin and we got, I guess I'll be Horace Grant or something today. So uh, we'll make do. We'll make do. But I'm excited, man. Yeah, we'll be good. And uh, I mean, it was a, a high level top 20 clash there in Knoxville, one that felt like Illinois had already done what they needed to to make it a successful road swing by getting the Rutgers game. The FAU still had plenty to gain there if they would have beaten Tennessee. Tennessee, I thought, was probably going to be desperate and, and came in with a lot of energy, having lost their previous three high major games. The Vols prevail 86 to 79, just Kind of, I'll open the floor to you, just over general thoughts on that performance there by the Illini on Saturday. Yeah, well, I think even bigger picture, just that the road trip in general with FAU and Rutgers, I think 3-0 felt like perfect world there. Um, and they could have done it, to be honest. Uh, but 2-1 feels right. And I think you learned a lot from, from this game in Knoxville. One, reaffirming that you can compete against a high level team like that in an environment where not a lot of teams go in there and win even even through SEC play and um but also schematically I think they showed some things that you can build on in this week that you kind of have off and they cross matched to start the game we'll we'll dive into that a little bit more uh and then also just the way that Illinois was navigating screens off the ball it, they they put them in some tough spots, and I thought in some ways they responded, in some ways it hurt them. But look, overall, again, with this decent layoff that you have, you can take what you learned, and now you can tinker and make changes as you head into Colgate. Yeah, Mike, I thought it was pretty encouraging. You're, number one, you're playing in front of 21,000. Uh, and like you said, I, I think they're 19-2 and two now against high major teams in that building over the last two-plus seasons your stars struggle in the first half, and yet you still find a way to, to be ahead. And then you're you're in it in the second half. Uh, it, it said to me, I, I think that it was a nice vote of confidence with supporting cast and what they can be. And it feels like an upgrade building around Terrence versus last year. I know that's kind of a bigger picture thought, but I, I was encouraged by that. Yeah, and I think the the other encouraging part is the way that these other parts are getting their production. It doesn't feel like Quincy to get to 22 points has to dominate the ball or has to 
clear out and and make that offense disjointed. I thought he I thought he for the most part took what the defense gave him and some of those were inside out catch and shoot threes when they started cross matching. Quincy's able to recognize okay, I got I do on me, so if I have I do on me, we got Coleman Hawkins and there's they were pretty much switching one through four with with James guarding Hawkins. So Hawkins was getting a mismatch and going into the post, which I think they can do even more of. And when they entered it to Coleman, now you got this really good passer that they want to send two to the ball at. And Quincy was right there, ball side, and, and had a couple good kickouts. So that's when it felt like guys had, you know, when it felt like the other parts last year had good games, sometimes it felt like they really had to take control of the game to get that production. And I thought that wasn't the case with, you know, Goody came in there and, and had some decent looks that were somewhat within the flow of the offense. And that's a sign of a good team where, again, everyone kind of knows who they are. And then you get those performances like a Quincy, like a Coleman, like a Luke hits a couple threes, and it doesn't feel like it's completely outside of what they're trying to do. So I thought that's really encouraging and that's helpful for, for a guy like Terrence Shannon. Yeah, there are a couple of different angles that we're going to break down here as far as both the positive and the negative. I'll start – with one of the headlines, uh, the refs kind of made themselves a story, and I know a lot of Illini fans talking about that. Just to, I want to get your thoughts on the difference the way the game was called in the first half or the second half. Uh, 48 free throws in the second half. There's only 14 in the first half. Uh, was the way you – when you went back and watched it, did it seem like there was a tighter whistle? Was the, the game just more physical and there were just more obvious fouls? How would you look at that one? I mean, I think that's that's why you got to err on the side of being the more aggressive and physical team, regardless. Because if you're not, now you're you're either, you know, now you're potentially fouling or you're taking bad shots or taking more threes. I thought it was just a matter of there were some bad calls. Don't get me wrong, but that's not unique to going into an environment like that. And there were, you know, there were a couple calls even in the first half. It's it's interesting. I make this point probably every year, but no one ever leaves a game going. Man, those refs, they were incredible. Um, <laughs> what a well, like TJ went off or something like what, but can we stop? What a well officiated game that like no one ever says that. So you notice the things when they're more like overt, I guess. And even in the first half, I thought, you know, there were there were certain calls that I think went Illinois' way. And you see those throughout the game. But look, if you're Tennessee and you are getting into the paint more and you are forcing the refs to make calls more, you're probably going to get more calls. And Illinois took 36 threes. We'll get, in, we'll get into that mm-hmm. conversation. But that's why you have to continue to be aggressive downhill, put pressure on the rim, and then be physical defensively because then it's like, you know, if they're not going to call it, then now you're benefiting from, from being a little bit aggressive. And, and, you know, early in the game, Marcus Damask, it's like just goes to – put the ball over his head and gets kind of hit in the face, but the ball popped out and wasn't strong with the ball. So you need to be aggressive from, from the beginning and um, you, you can't rely on, on the refs. And that's always the the second point I'll make because Scott Nagy, my coach at, at the, you know, for the one year I was at Wright state I always said, he's like, if you're complaining about the refs, you're typically getting your butt kicked. So, um, you know, the, the one, the Quincy one was bad. That one was bad because it's again, it's so obvious. And I, I'm acknowledging that officiating is a tough thing to do. But when you see a shot go up, collision, shot go up, oh, shot missed, fought, like you, 
you can't play the result. And I'm sure there's a human element of that, but you just you can't do that if you're an official. If that ball gets wedged or just is still sitting on the rim, Terry Oglesby is still probably waiting over there in Knoxville to make that call. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> come on yeah. no question. I mean, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it? Because you you were there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, how did it how did it feel being there live? I mean, it was hard to know. We didn't get the value of replays. Uh, like I've been told, I still haven't seen the the Ty Rogers hook and hold. Uh, I know a lot of people said that was a bad call. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I, I hated that it felt like a smooth first half between the two. And it was obviously the offenses sparked early and then it kind of bogged down a little bit, but I didn't think there was a ton of maybe egregious calls. And, and again, I, those watching on TV probably got the angles a little bit better than we did, but uh, I hated that it, it turned into that free throw fest, but I did think that, and we'll talk more about it, Illinois settling for threes when they were in the bonus was really them taking themselves out of maybe getting some more free throws. Yeah, no question. And 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 look, I think going back to the to the Ty Rogers hook and hold, I think they just got to take that call out of the game because it's it's so hard to determine in that moment. You have two guys locking arms, and so who's the one pulling? Who's the one trying to break away? It looks like I don't know how Ty would have benefited from hooking and holding and simultaneously trying to run towards the ball. Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you right. think that, like, why would you want to bring your guy with you? Um, I, that doesn't make sense to me. So I think it's just that they implemented that maybe four years ago, three, four years ago. Um, I don't think it was around when, when I was playing and it's just one of those, you probably got to, whether it's like the NCAA offices in Indianapolis, just have a sit down and be like, what, what are we really getting from, this particular call because it feels like every single time if it's if if everyone disagrees with the call pretty much every single time it's you know then you probably got to take it out of the game um so i don't know i I guess i'll be curious to see what they do with that let's move on to a couple of other different angles the illinois obviously would have wished went differently terrence shannon marcus damas 33 apiece against fau in the garden they respond 27 of 27 combined for those two it was a tough game for both of them uh, obviously I mean it's it's a really elite defense Tennessee one of the top defenses of the country we saw how physical they were in the, in the lane against Terrence and uh, just having athleticism to make things difficult for him to get to the rim uh, what did you see as far as what made it hard for Terrence to get going and then Marcus also uh, a big difference in his performance yeah I'll start with Terrence I think Terrence can continue to try to harness his aggression and power and speed in ways that can benefit him. I think he's become, he's taken a step even from last year on just the situational stuff. And I think the game has slowed down for him more as a ball handler to where he can make certain reads. But that next step is not just making the reads that are, you know, who's open and how can I deliver? It's what's the matchup and who's guarding me and what, you know, what is the best, outcome for us with this particular matchup so at times I do got Adu Adu got switched on to him and there were two times he settled for threes and that just it, like for him that can't happen and I, I used to say this with Kofi two completely different players but with Kofi it's every offseason's like is he gonna step out to 15 feet you know is he, and it's don't get bored with consistency man like don't get bored with it he's gonna get the ball enough and he's gonna get enough with Ty Rogers and and the guys that he has around him, he'll get enough catch and shoot looks 
There's times he's going to have to dance late clock and shoot threes. He's going to get six, seven threes per game. But those are the ones where if you're Terrence, you're like, okay, big seven foot one guy switched on to me. I got to go like this every single time. It's got to be automatic. I have to go to the rim because, again, it's not even just, hey, finish over the seven one guy. Hand checks, rotation. Now you're able to put yourself in a better position to deliver those passes. So that's Terrence. And those are those are things that even as a guy that can be a first team All American this year, he can still make strides in. Um, and then Damask, I think not every team is going to let you just back down, and they're definitely trying to implement more post up, long post type stuff with him. But I thought this was a really really interesting matchup because yes, they want to post more. But now you have a guy like Ziegler, who a lot of times, and it sounds counterintuitive, the 5'9", scrappy little guys are the toughest to post sometimes. They have a lower center of gravity. And a lot of times, too, there's guys that are bigger. Are, and I say this as a guy that I took charges on the ball. That's how I survived defensively. And guys are, are like, weary of that. Because you, you, you put one brace or, like, lower the shoulder like those guys are going down now you have a foul so instead of hey i'm posting ziegler that's not the guy to get the ball at 18 17 feet and try to back down that's a low post touch that's with with a smaller guy smaller guy is low post bigger guy is long post like that's a that's a high post long post touch to where now you can you can square up now you can square up at 17 18 feet and use your speed and use your pivots you get Ziegler, you get any of these guys. I'm trying to think around the league. Jameer Young, um, Boo Booey, those type of guys. That has to be a low, that has to be a deep cut, that touch. It just has to be. And I think though, again, those are things that out of this game, you go, hmm, FAU had guys that they could kind of back down. You get some of these other tough guards, that's got to be a lower touch. So that's that's something for Damas that I think he can uh he can for sure work on. He missed shots, but I thought again he was good defensively. That's a great point as far as the posting up. I did want to maybe zoom out a little bit because uh, one of the criticisms, I, I guess, or just one of the, the critiques of Illinois after the FAU game, and I'll just say it, I was listening to the Field of 68 and Jeff Goodman and Rob Doss are talking, well, is Marcus Damask going to be a guy that can rely on for 30-plus in, in another game this year? I I don't worry about Marcus coming out of this game. I think is it going to be – I think most nights, obviously, it's going to be in between the two performances between Tennessee and FAU. Like, he scores 15 at Rutgers, and I feel – like that was something you can probably rely on him in, in most games. I, I do still believe he should be your number two scoring option. I'm curious your thoughts on that. And if not that I don't feel like you believe that Marcus at the at the garden was fluky or that him his emergence is fluky by any means, but what do you think on that? No, it wasn't fluky, but you you certainly can't expect that. Right. Uh now I, I've said over and over again that the aggression and him being a threat that has to be consistent every game whether or not the production reflects that is kind of a moot point because he, he's much more likely to be in that 15 ish range than he may not score 30 plus the rest of the season i'd actually i'd actually be surprised if he did uh now again it's it's matchups and it's it's this and it's that but he has to figure out a way because you can see it it's like visible with him where he looks timid, and then he, FAU, he's like, he's like ice in the veins, and sh like Jordan shoulder shrug, just continuing to believe in himself. You can hear it from his teammates; they believe in him, but he he has to figure that out because he's going to have to be as the season goes on that that second option. 
Because now if you if Quincy comes along, you know, maybe you don't want Quincy as your second option. Maybe you don't want Coleman as like your second scoring option, but Quincy is like a fourth scoring option for you. That's that's damn good. Um, a guy that is capable as your fourth scoring option to, to put up 20 plus. I mean, that's I, I mean, you go down the list, there are probably how many guys on this team that are genuinely capable of putting up 20 plus. I'd I'd put Terrence in that category, Damascus in that category, Quincy did it. Depending on the matchup and potentially opponent, Dane can do it. Dane's right. Dane's proven to do that. Coleman, he's done it before, but that's kind of always been synonymous with getting hot from three. So, you know, you're talking about five-ish guys that can get you 20 on a given night. How they get it's important. But for Marcus, every single night has to be – I got to view myself that way. Like, I just – I have to. That helps Terrence. That helps Coleman. That helps Quincy. That helps your offense in general. And he'll figure that out. Um, you'd think that just after the Rutgers and Marquette and the garden that it would just be ingrained, but it's a progression with these guys. And, and he's just, he's just gotta be more consistent with that. Is there a game where Luke Goody hits six threes and maybe he gets to 20 at some point? Totally possible. Yeah. I mean, throw him as a sixth guy. No question. Yeah. Let's talk about the threes. So Illinois goes nine for 36 from three. Uh, as you look back into the formula of success against Rutgers, and look, I know that matchups are different. Uh, sometimes tempo dictates more shots, so the volumes can can vary. But uh, Rutgers, I think they took 20 or 21 threes, kind of in that same range against FAU as well. And really post-Marquette, Illinois done a good job of getting more inside the arc, more to the paint at 48 points in the paint against FAU. Tennessee, with their athleticism, physicality inside, and that, that's part of it, them – crashing in. I mean, there were, Mike, I'm sure we're going to see it on the film room when we do it. There's four guys in the paint waiting for Terrence sometimes. Uh, so that can make it tough to get to the rim. But Illinois felt like they settled for threes at, at moments in the game. 36, I feel like it's a dumb question to ask you, is it too many? But by how many, how much is it too many? And what did you kind of think overall about the volume of threes? Well, I charted them. Um, so let's talk about, and, and it's really four different categories. Good shot, Okay shot, bad shot, shot clock. I, I, I kind of put I put them into four different buckets. And the criteria on that is really three things for what constitutes a good, okay, bad shot. Is it in rhythm? What's the time and situation? And do I have offensive rebounding position? And if you check all three of those boxes, Regard, they could you could check all three of those boxes 35 times in a game, and those are good shots. Now, if it's two of the three boxes, could still be a good shot, right? If it's like in rhythm and you have rebounding position, but the time and situation isn't ideal, yeah, that's when you start teetering on good slash okay. So they took 36 in the game. 19 were good. Like all pretty much checked all three of those boxes. Rebounding position, in rhythm, time and situation. And if you want to add a fourth one, you know, got a paint touch or there was some inside out element to it. There were seven that were bad. And what are bad ones? Man, like one of our first possessions of the second half, hit ahead to Coleman Hawkins, like pulls from 29 feet. No rebounding position. Okay, maybe it's in rhythm, but time and situation, it's just, it's those, that's a bad one. And then there were the other ones where you start teetering on okay, where there's no paint touch, but when Terrence Shannon drives with his right hand, Ziegler helps in 
and now you get a drive and kick. It wasn't necessarily like a penetrating drive. It was more east-west, but it's a, it's a drive and kick to Damask, and Damask just catches and shoots it. I put that in the okay category because it was early in the shot clock. There was no paint touch. So, but there were 19 like good ones. And, you know, probably out of the nine threes that they made, I'd say seven of those 19 that, that they took, they made. So how can you shave that down? And this is the broader point that I'll make as well is just like golf. You don't want to go up there with a million swing thoughts. So I'm making this point in rhythm, time and situation. Do I have rebounding position? Those are not things that you are processing in the moment as a player. That's like so counterintuitive to shooting. Like no one is catching the ball, looking at the rim going, what's our offensive rebounding position? Oh my, was this in rhythm? What's the time? And like, you can't, you cannot do that. You have to be free of mind and shoot. So what does that revert back to? It's what type of offense are you generating? Because the offense you generate will eventually lead to those good ones and where you don't have to think about it. So, well, again, I go, I do it in film. Like part of the film is, hey, class, good one, bad one, okay one, why? And we'll walk through that because it's so easy to look at a number at the end of the game. And the broader point that I'll make too, the difference between Rutgers and Tennessee, both really good defenses, Tennessee's an even better defense. So at some point, like if they're going to pack the paint that much, you're going to have to make them pay. And then the last point that I'll make too is, again, this goes back to Terrence and just the recognition where first offensive possession of the game for them is a Terrence left wing three. They cross-matched. They got a switch. Ziegler is late. He's he's trying to help on Coleman Hawkins. Skip to Ty Rogers, one more to Terrence. Ziegler is sprinting out. If you're Terrence, all right, I put in the okay bucket because it was catch and shoot. It was in rhythm. They had rebounding position. But, man, situation, long closeout. Can I just attack those feet? I'm Terrence Shannon. Like, that. those are the ones that I think they can – you can eliminate the bad ones. You're going to have okay ones. Like, not everyone is going to be good or great throughout the game. But that puts you at, what, 25 threes that were either good, great, or okay. And that's fine. I think that's that's totally fine for this team. And then, again, late, you factor in you're chasing, you're down 12, 10 – Guys are going to start chucking. So that's where a couple of those bad ones came in. But that was a long-winded way, and I apologize, of just kind of how I am breaking that down. No, that was good. Uh, as far as a, a bit of a spinoff there, like it reminded me a little bit the way that Tennessee made it hard on, on Terrence and kind of bottled him up of Baylor against Io that year at, at, at Indy. Just, there, there aren't many teams that can do that to that high level of a, of a guard. And maybe Illinois doesn't run into that we'll see the rest of this season. Obviously there are some, some really elite defensive teams out there like a Houston uh, typically has and whatnot. But if Terrence has a tough time getting there, what else does Illinois have to do to make sure you're not just stagnant on the perimeter shooting threes? Well, I think there's, there's ways that you can, you know, get him in actions where, and they try to do this, obviously getting him downhill to his left hand. They're runs, they're running some of that role replace action where the throwback is to him to a, to a single side ripping with his left hand. But I still think there's room for a guy like Terrence Shannon, who's who's good at drawing contact, good at getting to the foul line. He There's there really two things. One, I think just like Damask, that you can post Terrence a little more, especially if they're going to switch one through four and cross match and stuff. I, I think there's, there's ways that you can 
get him going. And then the second part is what I talked about with Terrence. Okay, if they want to switch and they're cross-matching and I get a four-man or a five-man, yes, it may be easier to dance on him and cross him to free yourself up, but that's the perfect time where when you free yourself a little bit up, when you free yourself up a little bit from three, now they feel like they got to overcommit to recover. And then it's it's has he get downhill. And now things really open up. So it's a patience thing with Terrence. If you keep just trying to like same speed ram, that's why, like in football, right? There's there's misdirection. There's like Le'Veon Bell wasn't just hand the ball off and just run through the tackles. He would kind of wait and then use the the change of speed and pace and burst to his advantage. So that's those are the two things that I think you can do for Terrence. And then, then just throughout the game, it's it's on Terrence to say, hey, how involved can I get on the defensive rebounding side of things? Because I, I found maybe three or four times in the game where he completely gets himself in no man's land, like completely. And it's interesting because when he's guarding Dalton Connect, he's like super dialed in. When the guys that aren't Dalton Connect, he kind of starts drifting at the three-point line and won't offer help on the defensive glass. And is kind of waiting for like an outlet. But dude, if you go in and get that yourself, now you're gone. You don't even have to wait for an outlet or a pass. And a lot of times it's against those guys that are more of those scrappy 45. The guy for, for Tennessee um, came in and just made an impact on the offensive glass. And sometimes it was when Terrence was guarding him. So those are really three areas for Terrence. But it's it's not just going to be like scheming up stuff. It's little recognition stuff from Terrence. And it's probably even more effort on the defensive glass to try to get himself more of those jailbreaks. I want to move on to defense here in a second. Before we do, I – I want to ask you because I think fans are thinking it. Uh, I admittedly had it cross my mind. Was this one of those uh, not having a point guard games where it really kind of reared its head? Because Terrence a lot of times is a guy that is is the one consistent we know he's going to get in the lane for Illinois. Sometimes it feels like he can be the only guy, or at least the only guy that does it consistently. Uh, I'm not saying that, hey, if Nico Moretti was healthy for this game, Illinois is going to win. But uh, was that something that you looked at? Because Ty seemed – rather non-existent offensively he he got to the line a couple of times uh not to put it all on him it's just we know that point guards a lot of times their their greatest skill is they can get to where they want to go off the dribble yeah I think you always have to factor in not every team is built the same and I think I talked about this with Jeremy before but you're always pulling different levers and it's almost like when you when you're when you have like sliders on NBA 2k or when you're building a player, it's the same thing with a team where it's like, Hey, we may be 94 in this level, but you know, point guard, we may be 78. There's other teams that are 78 with point guard that are 72 on defense, 69 on the offensive glass and Illinois. Like you can at least pull different levers to where you're good in these other areas to where you don't have to be in that 90th percentile with point guard play. But the other point that I'll mention is look, this game was Tempo-wise and possession-wise, you had more possessions in this game than you did FAU and Marquette. I mean, you had a, you had 172 possessions in this game, 86 on both sides, and the 86 possessions you had, you turned the ball over nine times. So, yeah, completely different conversation. If it's like, hey, you turned it over 21 times, you can't get into stuff. These guys are capable enough ball handlers. Now, there's times where it's very obvious when Damask is getting pressured by a guy like Ziegler and he just kind of takes the ball from him. That can happen. But, like, what is the makeup of your team beyond that? Because I think this team has Final Four aspirations. And, look, it's not impossible for a team without a true point guard to make it to the Final Four. I could think of 
three teams over the years that have done it. I mean, South Carolina back in 2017, their main guy was Cinderius Thornwell. It's kind of similar to Terrence Shannon where it's like bruiser, get downhill, you know, put you in jail, uh, great defensive team. This off, this Illinois team is even more capable than that team was offensively. They had Chris Silva. They had P.J. Dozier. They were more like wing, big oriented. Dwayne Notice was, was their point guard, but no one on that team averaged over three assists per game, and they did everything through, you know, defense and rebounding. But I think Illinois can do that defensively and be an even better offensive team because of the talent and skill that they have. And then think about, like, San Diego State last year. I mean – that they were inept a little bit offensively too. And even their point guard Trammell was like, okay. Like he was just okay. They did it again with wings and bigs. And then probably another team that I'll mention is probably 2016 Syracuse or 2015 Syracuse, where you go like Trevor Cooney, you know, Mike Benajay, um, Malachi Richardson, Tyler Lydon, Roberson, like the, all that, that whole team was six, five and above. Granted, they ran that zone, but none of those guys were a point guard. So it's not impossible. You just need to be really good in those other areas like those teams were. And I think Illinois can be that. So I'm not really as I was probably more worried earlier in the year. But now that you've seen them play against high level competition. Like turnovers aren't really an issue. I, I don't care what you say. If you go into an environment like that and turn over nine times and have 86 offensive possessions. I don't know. That's that's. That's pretty impressive. No, yeah, I definitely agree with that. As far as the defensive side, I think one thing that we, one thing I wondered that I knew that we were going to learn in that three-game sample size away from home is Illinois at the time was was top ten in the country defensive efficiency. Would they prove to be elite as they got challenged a little bit more? Uh, they obviously held down Rutgers really well, less than sixty points in that game. FAU, I mean, you got to tip your cap to them. They're really talented offensively, but they score eighty-nine. Tennessee scores eighty-six and puts up darn near 1.3 points per possession. I know that the free throw volume plays into that as well. So uh, I, I kind of wanted to get your your updated feel. I mean, it's not like Illinois has has completely tanked in DER rankings. You go to Ken Palm, they're 14th still in adjusted defensive efficiency. So I don't want to say they were frauds there, but uh, is there something that you saw in the last two games that they're not doing defensively that's caused them problems and, and kind of the updated feel on just how how good this team is defensively? Yeah, I mean, I think in higher possession games, that's even more so – it's it's even more of a reason to lock in defensively. And and you got to factor in fatigue too. I, I mean, right. this is a team right now that outside of maybe Luke Goody and Dane Danger and a little bit of Justin Harmon and like a sprinkle of Dre Gibbs-Lawhorn, there aren't a ton of guys outside of this starting lineup that are playing like heavy minutes. So if you're going to be this high possession team – do you do do you pull some of those other levers with your rotation to try to keep guys fresh? Because I think that's where I've seen some of the drop off is, man, it, like these games turn into somewhat of a track meet. And now you got to be almost even more conscious of your shot selection, because if you're like I, I mentioned those seven bad threes that you took. Now, it's not going to be perfect every game. Can you make that three or four? Because that's three or four opportunities on misses that are basically like turnovers in a way, the way they come off the rim and kind of lead to jailbreaks for these opposing teams but again you make the point 89 points against FAU 86 against uh against Tennessee you you can't look at the points you have to look at the points per possession like you're talking about that's always that's a number even when I was in college that's that's what we looked at when it came to how we grade ourselves out on the defensive end and that's what those the, the metrics like Ken Palm 
look at as well. But these are you're playing higher possession games than you did last year. That's just a fact. And it's because you're capable of it, but now you don't want to have drop off on that end. So if you can if you can get under one point per possession, I think I want to say Tennessee was right at one. I think it was 86 possessions, 86 points. I could I could be reading that wrong, but that's not horrible when it comes to like going on the road in that environment. And honestly, it's a it's a it's a Tennessee team that different than the ones in from the past. They played at a quicker tempo. They were like 260 last year, and I think they were top 25 this year. And that might have gone up after last game. So all comes down to pace, all comes down to 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 the points per possession, but you have to find a way to not be fatigued and, and fight through that exhaustion that you have when you're when you're going up and down on both ends. Mike, let's go to the positive side of this thing. And when you compete like that, you have a halftime lead on the road against Tennessee. Obviously, some things have to go right for you. Quincy Garrier in particular, the start of that game, knocking down some big threes. Tennessee seemed to be okay with him taking those looks. And I know that his season stats may be dictated that all right, we'll we'll give him a few, but he really stepped up and made some big shots. Even I, I like the fact that he got to the free throw line too, a guy that can drive a close out and get into there and, and, and get to the line. So 22 points for him. What'd you see and what he put on display on Saturday? Yeah, I think even through his struggles, I, I've really enjoyed his presence and his body language. That's that's never wavered for him. And that sets you up to be able to do what he does in that moment. If you're a guy that internalizes your poor shooting performances and make it about yourself, it's really hard to go into an environment like that and, and put up 22 points and, and be be pretty efficient um, and then hold your own on the defensive end. So I'm curious moving forward if teams continue to cross match, if they feel like they can pull it off and put the four man on Coleman Hawkins and the five man on Quincy. And if that's the case, he's got to really pick his spots. I think him being a guy that uh, as he spaces on the perimeter, that's a great chance when guys drive, bigs just aren't as locked into perimeter defensive principles so they help in off like help in off the ball or they help in same side corner. And those are opportunities for, for Quincy to say, hey, do I have it going from three great catch and shoot look? If not, straight line drive. And he's he's done a great job of that. So these type of games should give you confidence, but uh, and that should that should bode well for him moving forward. Coleman Hawkins, I felt like took a step forward offensively the last two games. You look at the the very end of FAU to be able to have the confidence and step up in the clutch and hit that big three. Uh, and then against Tennessee, I know that some threes late kind of maybe muddied up his stat line a little bit, but uh, and he was, what was he, four for 13 from the field, three for 10 from three, but uh, had four assists. I like some of his off the bounce driving kick, uh, which set up Terrence for for one of his uh, threes in that game, but the ability to make some shots. And it just seemed like Coleman's confidence is coming back a little bit with his jumper uh, to the point where he's, you know, John with the crowd a little bit. That, that seems like uh, vintage Coleman Hawkins, but uh how big is that to get him going a little bit more as that that shooting threat or just a guy that feels more in rhythm offensively? Yeah, well, it's huge. And, and I think four for 13 for a guy like Coleman just shouldn't really happen. I, I know he doesn't get a ton yeah. around the rim, but I still think that that three for 10 should probably be three for eight-ish. Yeah. One early in the second half where he just hoisted uh, wasn't a good one. And then there's, I think there's other opportunities too. Some of these passes aren't perfect. Uh, there were two, there were two for Coleman in particular where he kind of caught it at his ankles or caught it like off to the side. And those are just times where if you feel like you still have time, give yourself a rhythm dribble and go. It's really hard to like bend down and then get into like a catch and shoot. So 
little things that that he can be mindful of moving forward. But but do you do you feature him more? And when I say that, hold on, I'm not saying run the offense through him. I'm saying that if you're going to do these cross matches, if teams are going to cross match and switch, can he? And he was doing it, getting into the post. Can you feed him more? Because if they're if they have, he's a small on him now, you're really unlocking his passing ability if they send two. Now, like the hook over the head cross court stuff, he can probably just make the simpler one. But he had a couple where he got in the post. They sent a second one, ball side, Quincy three. He's really good at that. And then also, I mean, look over the years, uh, you know, he's been great around the rim. I think last year he was he was 58 of 81 around the rim, which is good. I think it's 72%. And then he's he's eight for 12 this year, which which isn't bad at all. And then and then even on his hook shot, when he gets to that that left shoulder, um, he's he's 17 for 31 over the past two years, which is like 90th percentile stuff. So do you find more ways to to play through him in the post? Because I think he can do that. And then are there other ways too to maybe with these other post threats that you have, keep it in the middle third of the floor where help is tougher to come and make him a passer out of the high-low where he finds guys like Damask. Maybe it's like a, a whip cut where you come through and then just whip across your man and post with Damask, Shannon, Rogers. There's other ways to go about that. And that's that's what excites you about a guy like Coleman because you can put him in different spots. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. On the note of playing to the post, Mike, I know a lot of people wondered, Dane Danger, four minutes in this game against Tennessee, with Illinois struggling to, to get the ball inside or be productive inside, would have been better to play Dane a little bit more. I know we've talked about, and you and Jeremy have talked about on, on podcasts, uh, about just overall what's his role, what what does the future look like uh, in terms of the rest of this season uh, with Dane. I, like I mentioned, four minutes in this one, and really if you look at the four games against top 100 opponents between Marquette, Rutgers, FAU, and this one, he's averaged about seven minutes a game. So uh, how do you see that? Do you think that that's – okay to, to go with in terms of a usage for him and how, how would you approach it with Dane? Well, I think it's, you always have to ask yourself the question, right? Everybody, there's always a, there's always a bench, there's a bench guy every year that people are clamoring to, to have <clears throat> go into the game for who? And that's, I mean, that's the question. If you, if you, if you could play with six, you you play with six, but it's not Terrence Shannon. It's probably not Marcus Damask. It definitely wasn't Quincy last game. I mean, I, I don't know how you could have taken him off the floor in those moments. I think Ty does so much for you just in terms of being low maintenance. He's a great defender, um, you know, and then also 
he can he can get downhill and and he delivered some great passes one to Harmon one to Goody for a three uh, he can do those things so and then Coleman Coleman the advantage you have is with Coleman at the five so I I don't know I, I mean it's I, I really don't don't have an answer for that because maybe there's some ways to sprinkle it in where you feel like you can slow things down a little bit and work it into the post you're going to sacrifice having a higher possession game I mean that that keeps you fresh more fresh on the defensive end. Um, but always with Dane, it's there's going to be just a cap there with this free throw shooting and and some of the turnover stuff when he does get the ball in the post. So, like, if he's going to play, he's got to be damn good defensively. That's his ticket. Um, if he comes in and he's disruptive and drop coverage and, you know, that's that's going to earn him more playing time. But if that's not the case, then it's going to be really hard to, to bake those minutes in. Will there be a situation where – you'd play Coleman at the four and Dane at the five, like you did last year. I know I agree with you. Like you said, I think the the biggest value of Coleman is just playing him at the five. And I like what obviously Quincy's doing at the four. I think he's a good compliment, the physicality of him at the four. And then obviously the, the stretch nature of Coleman at the five, would you see any motivation to try to, to mix that in or not to say that there's a lot of, like you said, you got to find a guy to take off the floor to get Dane out there. But how do you see that? Yeah, I mean, they've tried this over the years, and that's not to say that they won't go to it depending on the game, right? If they feel like they met, like, man, our, our, you know, whether it's a big that they feel like they can expose and, hey, maybe this is more of a Dane game. I mean, three out of these four games that you've played have been track meets, and that's just not – that's not going to be the type of game for Dane. And then I, I think against Rutgers, he got two fouls in the first half, which, yep. which took him out. So maybe there was more of a plan for him in that type of game, but – Again, when we talk about cross-matching like Tennessee did, if teams are watching that and saying, hey, this is kind of what we want to do to Illinois, then you take out the the advantage you have when teams cross-match if you put Dane at the five. Because now Adu is just going to guard Dane. And then they're going to have James guarding Hawkins. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, well, okay, well, what's our advantage now? Whereas when it's Quincy being guarded by a five, now he can space a little bit. You're pulling a five out to the perimeter. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's where that advantage is. Uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, maybe Colgate may be a game, maybe a Dane game, uh, where you just want to establish a true post presence inside and, and you do that, but that's, that's not something we haven't seen from Dane against, against mid-major competition. And then against some big 10 competition where we feel like, Hey, maybe it's Iowa, right? Last year, he started against mm-hmm. Iowa, got off to a great start, rolling to the rim, rolling hard, establishing himself in the, in the paint. So that's that's the beauty of it is that you can play in different ways and different matchups call for different rotations and 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 schemes. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'll be I'll be curious to see how uh how they handle that as the season goes on. Yeah, no doubt about it. And Dane's gotta play better to make that a motivation for for Brad to really go out there and and make him want to play him more. Like turnovers, I think definitely the over dribbling its Rutgers was frustrating. There is an obvious difference between Coleman playing the five, the area he can cover, how well he plays uh, in that versus Dane sometimes in the drop. And kind of the last point I'll make, I guess, is is that when Dane's out there, that's a more clogged lane for Terrence Shannon to go in there, especially if if Ty's on the court and Dane, floor spacing is hard to come by. Yeah, and you you make a really good point because everybody loves the five-out stuff. Um, And I'm sure you've heard me say this before, but – Five out without movement and cutting is the worst offense possible because you just brought a, a, nut, a fifth perimeter defender into the gaps. So it becomes even – yes, the paint is open. 
but you still have to get to the paint. And now teams like that is so hard to, to breach. And when you actually have four out one in, if, if you have a, a post player that can really occupy uh, a five man defensively, now you only have four perimeter defenders. So there's a little bit more gaps to drive, but you still have to have movement, maybe flare screens away to occupy those defenders to be able to drive those lanes. And then you trust a Damask, a Shannon, a Rogers because of their size to where if a big man wants to help over and contest, you can finish over them. Or if they want to help over and contest, you got re- offensive rebounding position. So there's there's a lot of different ways you can go with it, but spacing is is critical for sure. All right, Mike, before we finish up here, looking ahead to this weekend, they'll play Colgate. Got some time off before we dive into that matchup. I just want to ask you as a player that's gone through it, how do coaches usually approach a finals week with game prep practice? What goes into that for a player as they're going through that? Yeah, I think because you had a game on Saturday, odds are, and this would be really the structure of it, Sunday is come in and get treatment, maybe get up some shots. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday, you're practicing, but it's about us. What did we learn from Tennessee? What do we want to tinker? What do we want to change? Um, those that you're not even you're not even touching Colgate. Everyone's got the prep. You know the, the coaches do a great job of getting that together, but like you're not Colgate's not on your mind yet. And then on Wednesday, um, it's it's treatment, day off, get shots, and then you have probably a two day, maybe a three day prep and you've turned your focus to Colgate. You're still you're still working on yourself a little bit, but those last couple days leading up to the game are scout team, what's Colgate running, and they run great actions. Um, what they do defensively, that's that's when you're starting to bake that in. So it's, it's splitting up your week into primarily about us and then still about us, but but mixing in some some Colgate. So that that's really how, how the structure is. And, and then once you start getting into the true Christmas break, you're spending a lot of time in that facility. And I know, I know, you know, Underwood's been been one to do two a days. We did two a days when we were there. And then you break up those practices accordingly. Maybe it's more skill work, the first one, um, and, and a true practice, the second one, or vice versa. But you get creative with it and you want to take out some of the monotony, but that's that's typically how it's structured. In terms of the Colgate game itself, to finish up here. I know that's been circled as maybe a potential trap game coming off of finals week because you had FAU Tennessee before that. Uh, and this is a Colgate team that has given some, you know, Syracuse it's, it's troubles in the recent years. They almost beat them three years in a row. They blew a big lead there uh, at the carrier dome earlier uh, this season. They've been to the tournament. They're a team that traditionally shoots the three really well. I know percentage wise, they're, they're down a little bit this year. They had been three straight seasons, 40 plus percent from three. I think they're down like 35, 36 but from what you've gathered on, on them, what do you think of this matchup for Illinois and just the game in general? Yeah, I mean, look at the bookends of this game. You get hard-fought game in Tennessee, and then you have bragging rights. So can you can you stay focused in this in this game and go out there? I mean, Colgate they are much slower than than some of these other teams that you've played. But you look at some of yes, they were up twenty four on Syracuse, and they were able to. Um, you know, to, to come to Syracuse came back and won that game, but they, they played against Arizona and Arizona just, you know, beat the brakes off of them. Arizona didn't give up a single offensive rebound. You know, this is not a great rebounding team in Colgate. Now they run really good stuff. They can shoot it. So you always want to be aware of that, but Arizona was able to pressure them into 18 turnovers and, um, 
you know, and then they shared the ball themselves. I mean, I think Arizona had 21 assists in that game and uh, got 14 offensive rebounds, got those back at the line. And, uh, and yeah, so that, that has to be, you know, they don't have a ton of guys Colgate who, who just kind of get into the paint and live in the paint all game. So you have to be able to be solid. And I think it's a game that does kind of, kind of work in Illinois favor with how they're structured and, and what they like to do. So you, but you need to still go out there and do it. So if I'm Illinois and what are our principles, can we get back to that after these couple track meets defense and rebounding? If you, if you take care of those two areas, you take care of this game. My great stuff as always. We'll have to convince Jeremy to go on another mini vacation. We can do another one of these, but uh, I enjoyed it, man. And uh, great stuff. Yeah, man. Well, uh, I want to turn the tables too. And I want to, I want to be the one interviewing you. I, I definitely have questions about, just your insight on on recruiting and now that the portal and nil is coming to play yeah uh, you're the one that's kind of boots on the ground for that so next time we hop on i want to definitely want to dive into that sounds like a plan uh i look forward to the the film we're going to do with you but until next time on the pod mike thanks for for your time man yeah man thanks for having me great stuff from michael tulip as always was really excited to catch up with him a uh, good breakdown there of the game in knoxville on saturday I and mean, there's some big ones Pushing forward for the Illini, a little bit of a, a time off with the finals week. Colgate's one you should take care of business with. I know that it's it's one that people have had circled as a bit of a tricky matchup. But Illinois, if they come ready to play, should be able to get that thing done. Then go into bragging rights, a big rivalry clash that Illinois needs to get back on the right side of in terms of that series. So we'll be uh, interested and, and excited for that trip to St. Louis here before the holidays. And then Fairleigh Dickinson at the end of the month. Uh, I do want to give a shout out on the note of Mike Latulip. He will be on the call for Big Ten Network in that one. So really excited for him with that opportunity. And also for those who will be watching at home and everywhere else on their TVs to get a chance to hear more of Mike Latulip's great analysis. So uh, on the note of Mike, uh, we did a film room as well uh, from this Illinois-Tennessee uh, matchup, as he always does with us. And, and if you're not able to access those, it's a great opportunity to change that. We got a 50% off annual subscription deal running right now. Jump on board with us. I know a lot of people did during the Black Friday sale, but if you're still waiting or finding a, you know, waiting for a reason to, to get in, uh, I think this is a great opportunity because we got a lot of in-season coverage. Uh, we're on location wherever this team is going. We went out east. We went to Knoxville. Uh, we'll be following this team uh, as closely, closer than anybody uh, going forward. And then uh, Michael Tulip's film room, I, I think, there's a lot of people out there would tell you it's it's a, a great tool to, to learn more about what you're watching, see some in intricacies, and, and just know more about the game and, and what you're uh, seeing on your TV screens or, or there in person at the State Farm Center uh, with his knowledge. So I, I highly recommend that. And then on the football side, Jeremy Warner, Joey Wagner doing a great job. Uh, we're early into the offseason, but it's already been hectic with the transfer portal. Uh, we also have the early signing period for football coming up later this month, and, and there'll be a ton of coverage that you will not want to miss. So once again, 50% off at Illini Inquirer. Go check us out. Uh, until next time on the Illini Inquirer podcast, thanks for listening to us. Rate us, review us, uh, tell your friends about us as well. So uh, we appreciate all those out there listening. For Derek Piper, we will talk to you next time on the Illini Inquirer podcast.
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.